thank you for coming. Um, before I introduce myself, um, I just wanted to thank you all for coming and um, acknowledge that we're meeting on Yagara and Turrbal country today. Um, and I wanted to acknowledge elders past, present and future um, and that sovereignty was never ceded. So my name's Talara um, and I'm one of the public programs coordinators here at the IMA. And today um, we have a wonderful panel um, programmed for you. Um, a public program is part of Tay Haggerty's exhibition link, which is in the first two galleries. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't fit you all in there, so you're in this gallery today. Um, and I won't take too long. Today we have um, Ruth and Kate from Dykes on Mics um, as our facilitators. Um, so Dykes on Mics airs on community station 4ZZZ from 7 to 9 every Wednesday evening um, and features news and music for and about the queer and lesbian community in Brisbane. They promote and interview artists, writers, performers, health and community workers, as well as those involved in the music industry and are also all active in the queer community from a diverse range of backgrounds. So thank, you for, thank you for doing this today. I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say. Make them feel welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Talara. Um, I'll try not to poke myself out, uh, poke my eye out with my own pen, which would be a bad start. Uh, I'm Ruth. <laughs> um, we're really uh, p pleased to be here today. Um, both of us are very passionate about queer space and it's wonderful to sit amongst some incredible creators uh, here in the engine and beyond who are doing some um, fantastic things in shaping the future of queer space and queer culture. Uh, so we're going to ask a few questions of the panel uh, and we're going to direct them to various members of the panel initially, but we've also said that anyone might want to just steal the mic and go for it if they've got something they're particularly passionate about. Um, so I guess uh, my first question is going to be to, uh, so I know you've just walked in Thomas, but I'm going to, I'm going to hit you up first, is that okay? <laughs> Uh, so, um, Thomas is um, DJ Sweaty Baby till 2.30am this morning, <laughs> uh, also a creative producer. He started Shandy, um, which I heard described earlier upstairs as the friendliest party in Brisbane. Uh, he started Shandy parties in t uh, early 2019 and uh, he did it in an effort to address the atomised nature of the queer community in the engine and to create somewhere to feel free. Uh, he's passionate about creating safe spaces which foster connection through partying and believes that the dance floor can serve as a means to achieve liberation via sweaty, passionate dancing. <laughs> I tend to agree. Um, so, <laughs> so I guess... Um, the first question that we wanted to, to ask and, and hear the responses from was what, 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 can, what do you consider queer space to be, Thomas, and what do you consider in 2021 to be the purpose of it? Um, I, I don't know, I, 
actually had to sort of think about this a bit more recently. I actually, I actually do have some notes because I was asked a similar question in an interview recently. Like, more specifically, it was more around like why queer clubbing specifically. Because obviously, I operate in a more of a nightlife entertainment space. But I feel, you know, it, it's really about creating a space, spaces where queer people can flourish and emancipate and be at ease and comfortable and just being able to be themselves. I think that's really what it's about. Um, and, you know, I even, you know, I, I suppose we can get a better understanding of what a queer space, maybe in opposition, like what is a not queer space or what is even, you know, so I sometimes will use a distinction of like an event or a space where it's, I'll, I'll say, oh, it's gay, not queer. Um, and sometimes people are like, what? <laughs> but I think if you know, you know as well. Like usually I say that to some people and they get it immediately. And I suppose it's an element of, you know, there are LGBTIQ spaces or there's gay spaces and they may have members of the queer community who are in there. But I find that, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, queer as well, you, you know, a lot of us you might, should be aware but might not be, it, you know, it used to be a really contentious term, you know, and there are a lot of organisations that are only just now starting to use the term in there, like, you know, the Australian Gay and Lesbian Archives just changed the Australian Queer Archives, that's super recent, and that was a really contested issue and had to be managed because a lot of people don't feel comfortable with the term. Um, but I find for me it's really, a gay space doesn't necessarily dive into does everyone feel welcomed into this space and does everyone who's in the LGBTIQ community feel, yeah, feel welcomed into the space really. I think that's a big, that's a big difference. Um, you know, so if you go to a party and it's exclusively, you know, cis gay men, it's probably not that queer or doesn't have that much of a queer focus. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's really it. And what else is, you know what, I'm, probably, I'm rambling a bit, so probably good for someone else to start talking. Uh, yeah, I also wanted to direct this question to Mo. Mo Chan is a, a, an abstract makeup artist. Uh, visual artist, writer and community event organiser. Uh, they are the creator of the platform Fern Collective through which they have co-organised events such as Radical Love, Conversations of Care and Shift. Through their art and space making they have a particular interest in creating spaces of vulnerability, complexity and pleasure. They are currently interested in building the foundations of collective care, harm reduction and safety to steer away from Oh, big words, carceral institutions and mechanisms. And I guess I'm really keen, Mo, to hear that that focus incorporated. Um, from my perspective, um, you know, queer people have um, a higher propensity for drug and alcohol abuse, a higher propensity to be in domestically violent relationships and also a higher propensity for uh, mental health um, episodes. And I guess... Uh, for you, what constitutes uh, queer space and and the purpose of it from a, a slightly different perspective? 
Yeah, I mean, like, um, I've been think thinking about this a lot, and I'm being slowly trying to like manifest this in like a hopefully future um, way. But I think I draw a lot of inspiration from it's. It's a London party called Misery Party, mm -hmm. um, and the purpose of Misery was it's a completely sober night. They really intentionally wanted to make it on a Friday night, so it was a sober alternative for um, uh, the queer scene, queer and trans scenes within London to go to. Um, and it's predominantly um, queer trans people of colour um, curated and exhibited um, people who exhibit there. Um, and the like, the whole setup of it is so beautiful because it's like a lot of like really delicious food is provided. It goes into like the late hours, and there's just like a lot of and it's called misery because it is like highlighting the um, kind of unanimous misery um, and the ex <laughs> that a lot of like queer and um, people of marginalized identities do face, but it is like kind of reclaiming, it's like, yes, we're miserable, but let's like fuck it up. Like, it's yeah. just, so it's just, I really, really like that concept, but I think, um, yeah, and I think that has been always my sort of grounding to queer spaces is that um, every day, like as people under like um, extreme marginalized violence, like um, those incarcerated First Nations people, um, black, brown bodies are constantly facing like state violence every day. And that's going to be an, an unfortunately an inevitable fate. Um, so we need these spaces to help recharge us and um, heal us as we kind of go on um, within this journey of existence. Um, and kind of like I think like connection and healing. It's like it's one of the only ways that we can really find that solace in um, in existing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always been like my thing because I'm like ah I'm like dying. But uh, <laughs> um, but at least like there are these like moments. <laughs> There, at least there are these like moments of like joy and healing that um, kind of like and like connection that really like um, demonstrate the beauty of um, humanity and connection and like not essentially just and, and it's not like essentializing just our identities that connect us but like it, it like it's the shared politic it is the shared um, intention for more and for better um, but I'm also going to pass it to Shelley because I know they've prepared is that okay if I quickly pass it to Shelley? I, I just remembered because yeah. I remember the purpose part and I wanted to just echo like I agree definitely there's a nourishing role that they like queer play spaces nourishing role that they play like and actually like you go there and you feel recharged from being with your people and your community and people who support you there's the political element as well of almost like you know uh, academically like sometimes there's the use of the term heterotopias or like it's a utopia it's like you know, imagining of what spaces can be and should be, you know, so there's a progressive element to what a queer space is usually. I just picking up all these things I rambled instead of reading from here, which I should have done. Um, and connection, you know, finding and building that community rather than, again, feeling isolated. Um, but now, after I've jumped in. I'm going to hand to Shelley because I know Shelley has prepared a little bit more. I'm Kate, um, my pronouns are she, her, but I'll just introduce you first, Shelley. So Shelley Cheng is a migrant settler living and working on unceded Yuggera and Turrbal land. They're a multidisciplinary emerging artist and writer. And Shelley has exhibited and performed across Nanjin in solo and group shows, including Control, Alt, Delete uh, in 2018, Where Are You From in 2019, <coughs> and Radical Love in 2020. Uh, 
HWY Festival also last year. Their written work appears in the Overland Literary Journal, Wear Your Voice magazine, Mamma Mia and other platforms. And they are currently completing their law and journalism degree and undertaking an artist residency at Visible Inc. So Shelley, I know you'd like to contribute to that question as well. Yeah, because it's one I prepared most for. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I guess um, when I think of what queer space means to me, I think of what queer means to me. Um, and I kind of approach it in a way that um, Jack Featherstone does, in terms of it's not just um, marginalised gender and sexualities, it's also an awareness of um, how these implications, like what other implications of these um, in terms of dominant power and knowledge structures. And I think of queer as an adjective but also as a verb. Um, in the dictionary it's defined as um, to question, to ridicule, um, to spoil and to put out of order. Um, and I guess a quote that really encapsulates all these ideas for me is the one by um, Bell Hooks. Um, and they say, queer not as being about who you're having sex with, which can be a dimension of it, but queer as in being about the self that is at odds with everything around it and has to invent and create and find a place to speak and to thrive and to live in. Um, so I guess queer spaces to me um, are like a site of engagement and contestation um, where these positions and where our subjectivities can be explored and multiplied um, and how we can create new possibilities of knowing and relating to each other. Um, and these spaces, I feel, are really important for us to um, push for what are the possibilities of how to think and how to be. So I think that's mm -hmm. what queer spaces mean for me and why it's so important. Thank you. That was, um, that was, that was really insightful from everyone there. Um, there's one member of our panel that I'll introduce you to left before I move into the next question, and this is Tay Haggerty. Um, Tay's exhibition, Link, as you heard, is currently on display here in the IMA. Their practice explores how reductive forms can be used as an open field to reflect upon personal and shared experience. These investigations take the form of collaborations, performances, videos, installations, and sculpture. Tay is a co-director of Clutch Collective and is one half of the collaborative duo Parallel Park. They've exhibited locally within various group shows at spaces such as Metro Arts, Outer Space, ARI and Box Copy, and has also had solo shows at Oral Ari, oh, I didn't read the next word ahead either, Kunst Bunker. <laughs> <laughs> And for more of that, tune in Wednesday nights at 7pm on 4ZZZ um, and the Wreckers Art Space. <laughs> uh, Tay has also shown interstate at Felt Space in Perth and West Space in Melbourne, as well as internationally at the Ildico Butler Gallery in New York. And they were the 2019 recipient of the Jeremy Hines Award, uh, which you can see the outcome of that here in the IMA. Um, so, Tay, uh, we sort of touched on a little bit of this already in some of the previous answers, but the next uh, question we had for yourself and anyone in the panel 
um, is that as we've discussed, given the diversity of the queer community, what do you see um, as constituting safety and inclusion in a space? Uh, and do you feel, given that diversity, that all queer spaces are um, healthy for the community and what we could do to um, work towards a more healthy queer space? Yeah, absolutely. It is a big question, um, but I think it's a very important question. Um, I think what makes a queer space safe is making sure that everyone feels safe, and that can mean that they're respected, um, that there is an opportunity to share pronouns, um, that there is space to decompress maybe within that space, um, to feel heard. Um, and I think it's very subjective for everyone. I think everyone has different needs in what makes them feel safe. Um, but I think they're some of the big ones. Um, I think this is something that actually Shandy does really well. Um, I think that you definitely facilitate a safe space um, and kind of encourage everyone to get involved. So it's a safe space for everyone. Um, would you like to tag on? I would. I, I actually would maybe even contest that claim, though. Because, yeah. um, I don't know, I, obviously because I'm in the business of trying to put on a party for the queer community, I've had to think about it a lot. Um, and I don't even... So if you actually look at the event and advertising and marketing and everything, I almost never use the term safe space or even inclusion or inclusive. There's, a, there's reasons behind that. I personally feel, well, firstly, the safe space element. I actually feel it's not, I mean, look, you know, we're, we're not really big on binaries here. Um, and I feel like unsafe and safe isn't really a helpful binary. Like, it sort of is like, you know, no space is ever going to be perfectly safe. And so it's really unhelpful to... Because then you get into these discussions and arguments about, well, this isn't safe, this isn't a safe space because of one thing, when actually it's a consistent, concerted effort that needs to be put out around, like... And I think reframing it as this is a safer space or we're striving towards a safer space forces you to continue to do the work, PM, um, to actually keep making sure that you're actually, like doing the work, yeah, doing a good job and making sure everyone feels more comfortable. Um, and I mean, even inclusion. I find sometimes when an event or an organization says inclusive or inclusive, like, that, that, that it's an inclusive event. It's marketing. Like, what are they doing? Like, so it's usually, if someone has to say it, it makes me think, it makes me question whether it actually is. Because if you have to say it, then it should just manifest in how you're operating the event. Like, it shouldn't have to be said. It should be apparent from what you're actually doing. And again, it, it's, you know, a get-out-of-jail-free card or something to actually, from actually doing something. Um, you know, rather than saying inclusive, list what you've done. Just say, hey, just be aware, blah. Um, yeah, I mean, particularly with Shandy, I, it's a party that's run at night, where people uh, you know, usually run in bars, um, and people often are doing drugs at the events. Not always, but you know, people are doing what they're doing. Um, and so, of course, there's going to be safety issues 
in that respect. So it really then does become more about, okay, and again, that's where that reframing of it being safer and thinking about, okay, what do we do? And, you know, going into harm minimization practices and doing it through that framework, you start to be like, okay, X thing is going to happen, or these are sort of some of the risk factors. What are we doing to make sure that we make it as welcoming and safe and supported for everyone who's going to be here as possible? Um, yeah, sort of. I was talking before upstairs with Kay, and I, I, I don't know if this resonates with you, but I think parties um, are safer now because of the new generation of queer people are pioneering an idea that it's called to be kind. And even if you are from a relatively privileged background, you know, a decade or so ago, if you were that person that was in that privileged position, it was a rite of passage to be an asshole and to assert your alphaness in the, in the queer space. Oh, there's still those people. There's, there's, <laughs> trust me, I know there's still those people. But I think now that what I see and what is really beautiful, and I'm, I think about the evolution of queer parties and how hard it was ten years ago to put on a party that celebrated POC performance and how ridiculed it, like, it, it has been and how successful it is now. And that beautiful thing about um, culture creators like yourself and others here on the panel, from my perspective, is that it's almost inherent. That inclusion is inherent. It's not contrived. It's not marketed. It's not. It's actually a part of people's um, DNA almost to be inclusive and to be kind and to think of those things without it being some controversy, which I really love to see, I guess, as a middle-aged semi-person who can't make it out much anymore past nine o'clock. But maybe we'll throw uh, over to that question as well. Um, It's, it, the question was like, what constitutes like a healthy or safe? Yeah. 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 So Shelley and I have actually talked a lot about this um, in our Instagram, just like ranting all the time. Um, <laughs> mainly, it's just like we we often like see this thing where it's um, like, just because a space has like an identity framework, it like instantly makes it safe. Um, and like we've seen that time and time again that it doesn't. Um, and that it is very much, safety is very much an action, like it is very much done down to the um, action of what, of creating safety. And obviously, yeah, as Tom said, there is like, you can't make a space completely safe. You can only do as much as you can. Um, and like, it is, and I, I like, I guess with like everything, it's just like safety is very much like a political word and it's, you have to be like aware of like the political intersections of the space as well. Um, and as well, because like so many people with like even within their identities bring forwards a lot of like harm, no matter what your identity is. And so it's like we still all of us have got to do the unpacking within the spaces. And I think as well, um, what makes a healthy space is like really putting forward what those values are of that space. Like what are your values of this space? What are you trying to create here? And who are you creating it for? Um, because safety is very much a collective action as well. Like. 
um, you want to be able to cultivate that collective safety within one another, even though it's it's going to be like impossible because we all bring our harms and our traumas and projections, um, very much projections, um, onto one another. Um, and so, yeah, I think yeah, that has been one of like the most interesting things in like creating spaces. In because I remember when I first tried to create spaces, I was so anxious. I was like, I haven't done this, 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 this. this. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna cancel the whole thing because. Um, it was just, it just, yeah, I was just so anxious about it all, and I was like, it's not, it's never going to be right, but then, like, thankfully, like, with a lot of support and from, like, other people, it's like, okay, no, we're just going to um, do the best we can, and just always hear of, like, conversation and feedback and accountability, because it's, it's so, um, as I said, it's an action, it's so much progression, and it's communication, and it's relationships of how we can better this, but it's also, like, critical thinking of those conversations as well, because people might be like, oh, I don't feel safe in this space, but then like could be like a bully. Um, <laughs> uh, like the, and like you have to think about so many things about like um, even like excluding people from space of how that creates safety, but then it ov obviously also involves like a kind of um, cultural exclusion way of thinking as well. So yeah, obviously it's so dynamic and yeah, I think it's just allowing for those complexities as well. Uh, I think because we often talk about safety and inclusion together, we kind of um, revert to thinking that safety can be achieved through exclusion based on identity. Um, and I feel like this is a problem because um, it kind of essentializes the queer identity um, as having something inherently related to safety. Um, and that kind of removes autonomy of, or the autonomy of individual people who may not think that way. Um, so if people are creating a queer space and entry is um, limited to people who identify as queer, I don't think that necessarily makes it a safe space. For example, I wouldn't want um, my body corporate person, who I <laughs> lovingly <laughs> refer to as Sharon the lesbian who hates refugees, like in my space, because that because her being a lesbian doesn't necessarily make her um, in solidarity with me. Um, and. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess um, safety and inclusion should, for me, uh, be based on values and this like, shared politic. Um, and yeah, I think the way that we think about it often runs the risk of essentializing identities and um, kind of foreclosing this idea of what queerness can be when it is much broader. I might actually, add on that? That's actually something I've had to deal with at Shandy because Early on it was like, well, it's a queer party, it's a queer space. And so, but obviously it was a banging party because queer parties are always the best ones. Um, and so I had lots of people who weren't queer like approach me and be like, is it okay if I come? And that was sort of a weird question at first, but I quickly sort of came across, uh, well, I think it's sort of just, you realize like, well, actually there's so many people who are queer, but they might not realize it. You know, like there's a whole world of people who are not there on their journey, they're not ready to be open, they may not have had the background to have that m revelation, but yeah, I think, and actually these spaces can be a really beautiful space for people to expand their mind and realise that actually they may not be as straight or cis as they thought they were. Um, and so, and I mean, it's also a really weird territory of like, how do you police whether someone's queer when they come into the space? You know, like, <laughs> that was really it. I was like, am I going to have someone on the door just doing like a queer check? Like, yep, you're, oh yeah, carabiner, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, 
yeah, it was just, so, yeah, early on it was just like, look, it's, it's actually something I, we can't police. Rather, it's something that I just need to ask. We, you know, you ask everyone who comes into the space across the board. I know you make it clear that it's a queer space, and then I think, you know, there's been little education pieces or posts I'll make about, look, if you're not queer, you are, it's fine to come into the space. It's maybe just recognising that. If you and yourself know that you are not queer, it's maybe, and you know, you, you firmly feel that, it's maybe just uh, uh, understanding that you, it's not your space specifically, and you're sort of more, maybe more of a guest. And so queer people's needs uh, need to be prioritised. And then like a practical application of that would be, so you know, first venue that we started at was, you know, had a limited capacity. So if it's packed to the gills and no one else can fit in, and you're a straight person, you know, you know that you're not queer firmly and you just want to have a fun time. That's lovely. I want you to have a fun time, but maybe have a fun time later when some other queer people can come in. So maybe just pop out for an hour or two, come back later when it's not as busy, you can still keep partying, and then queer people, who the space is for specifically, can have that space. Just add, like, one little note. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I think when you were talking about like people like not quite there, like they're on their journey yet and like this idea of being in flux, um, whether it be from like a straightness to a queerness or maybe it's a different um, section of queerness to another section of queerness and I think that um, queer spaces can really facilitate that and a safe queer space is people being in that space and encouraging that. And I think that um, I really wonder if I had those spaces growing up, would I have got there on my journey a lot quicker, you know? And so I think it's, yeah, really important. Um, yeah, I remember going out to early lesbian bars and I wasn't really comfortable with my, well, I didn't really understand that I was, uh, big old Lizzo, and um, I get it now, <laughs> and I was, yeah, yeah, it was really intimidating, and, and yeah, very, but I think um, a lot more ghettoised as well, so it was very, very much, those parties were a lot more ghettoised, and um, there was no straight people trying to get into those, so... <laughs> Uh, and, and they weren't necessarily very safe either for new, if you were coming out into that space. Um, and I guess I'm interested about maybe some of the more challenging uh, members of our community. I, I think of um, TERFs, I think of some really, um, I guess, the more binary people, not that I think that 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 is inherently challenging, but we do have, yeah, Sharon the lesbian, we're very sorry on behalf of our people about her. Um, I think of some of the more challenging people because a highly tra traumatised community creates people that inflict trauma sometimes and there can be a lot of lateral violence and I, I wonder how we manage that from an inclusion perspective. Um, we particularly um, think of TERFs as lesbian women that we find um, embarrassing um, and obviously maybe 
Thomas, I don't know how you would relate to some of what we've talked about, this cis, alpha, very highly misogynistic gay men. I feel like I'm old enough and ugly enough to call them out now. Um, yeah, and I wanted to see how you all feel about um, what's their role in being included and do, is there one or anyone want to tackle that? <laughs> I know. Um, I uh, it's 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 really fraught. I think one of the places where I saw, which was really interesting for diving into that and how do we deal with people who are maybe uh, not quite there politically with where we would hope they would be. Um, at, so a great example actually has been at Tropical Fruits, which is big gay party in Lismore, runs over, well, it's, it's actually, what, I mean, it's a community organisation, but their biggest event is this New Year's Eve party, and they're, like, they're all really fabulous, they're really good people. What's really interesting about it is that you have a really broad cross-section of people who attend um, particularly um, in terms of age groups, because I think that's another big thing. Sometimes queer parties very separated out by gen like generations, and when it's generations, it's actually like a really restricted, like a five, ten year generation, not anything. Like, so it's really interesting to be in a space where there are so many queer people who are older, and you know, there's a lot of different complicated conversations as well around why there's not more older queer people, but it's still really great to be in those spaces, but then you run into these issues and these conflicts between where a lot of people are at in, you know, people in their 20s, people in their 50s or 60s. Um, you know, you have a great, great example of that, um, where, you know, there's a lot of that second wave feminism happening, that growing up in that environment and that space. Um, I think it, look, in terms of actually what to be done, it's the really difficult thing of doing our best as a community to recognise that while some of these views are harmful and, you know, selfish and, you know, you can call all sorts of bad things, if we have the capacity, not everyone does, we've all got stuff going on, but if we've got the capacity, you ideally want to be helping these people to see what's going on and why their views are and the way they're acting is harmful and why they need to stop, which isn't easy and sometimes it needs to be done by friends, it needs to be done by acquaintances, it needs to be done by people who don't know or like that person but are just happy to sort of have, try and have the conversation um, because, I mean, I, I think that's been something that's been seen like Again, yeah, with person like the lesbian community particularly because, you know, you can probably talk better about this, but I've, like, I've seen from people I've met at Tropical Fruits that there's, you know, a real generation of people who would have identified historically as butch, butch, butch dykes, and then over time, and as they've sort of been able to gain access and see what's been happening, I think, in the broader queer discourse, they've started to be like, actually, I'm non-binary, or I'm trans-mass. And that's a conversation, and then that's opened up a conversation of like people in the lesbian community being like, we're losing all our butchers, which is really weird. 
you can talk more about this, I think. I have a bit of a, unfortunately, but I have a joke, a bit of a joke about Perth having an issue with um, gaining women rather than losing them. It, it's, you know, it's a bit, it's a, yeah, we're losing, it's a, yeah, they're sort of, their main focus is um, um, male to females. They're very upset about that. But then it's like, well, you're, you've got nothing to say when, when a female transitions, a biological female, and, and I find that really backward. It's like you think it would be the other way around, but I won't talk too much about them because they definitely don't need to have more space. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the question was like, how do we include people who might not be politically there yet? And I think that relates to how I've like, conceptualised the idea of being in the first place. Like, it's more than just your um, gender identity and your sexuality. It's an awareness of how your subjectivity relates to dominant power structures and knowledges. So, in that way, I wouldn't necessarily say like LGBTIQA plus people are queer. Um, it, in, it's broader than that, um, and in the, I remember um, there was this like young liberal guy who stormed like the Brisbane City Council for like, the drag reading, mm. and then he passed away later. Um, he suicided, and people, lots of like lesbians again, sorry, were like, if only he like found our community, we would have like, showed him how like we are, and he would have loved us. But then his family came out later and was like, he was never ashamed of being gay. He like. Um, was very proud of it and to um, kind of assume that he was like struggling was really erasing who he was and it's not that he didn't know our community and that he couldn't find it he knew it because he was targeting our community so like defining um, sexuality in terms of queerness um, kind of limits who we should include in the community and seeing queerness as just um, gender and sexual minorities um, positions it as like a project of inclusion when actually I see queerness as like a project of subverse, like subverse. Yeah. Yes, so we've got about 10 minutes left of questioning before we um, open the floor for some questions. So I might just have a quick figure out of which one is the one. Um, so I did have this noted down um, towards Mo and Thomas, but obviously anyone on the panel is welcome to answer. So we were interested in your thought on uh, the intersecting of commercial and corporate enterprise within queer spaces as well. So it's probably could be a big question. It could be our last question. <laughs> um, I'm not sure who would like to address that first. Perhaps yourself. Yeah. Looks like you sound like you're keen. Um, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, this is a very interesting question because obviously, um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, obviously it's like I kind of, we just kind of, it's a thing that we resist. Like, as I, I, I resist. It's, it's something like the commercialization and capitalization on queer identity is just like, that isn't, that's just pure violent capitalism. Like it's just, and yeah, I guess it's, I, I'm not too sure whether this question is like directed towards more like pinkwashing, but um, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, pinkwashing. Um, but yeah, and it is, yeah, like obviously there's been a huge um, thing, like no cops at Pride. Um, you see like 
um, amazing sort of, not amazing, but like the um, memes of like Biden dropping like rainbow missiles on like other countries. Like it's, that isn't like, that isn't what we're fighting for. That isn't like, like again, like Pride was started with like protest. It was started by black um, and POC trans women that was resisting the state and the state violence. And that is our roots and that is always what we, what we should be intended towards. And um, I mean, it, it is it is interesting to be honest. Like you think of a how now, like, but I guess it's just it is insidious. Like capitalism is so insidious of how it will latch onto anything to commercialize and that will latch onto people's um, experiences. Um, and like you think of just like huge like entities like banks and um, yeah cops like QPS like all of that, um, all of that and. Like, it's interesting because it's like people saying like, I guess it's like also about like representation and like representation matters, but it's like, if you're thinking about like a rainbow cop, like who are they exactly representing? Like they're just representing uh, violent, they're just represent, representing state violence. And it's like, and it's, again, it's just like, it's allowing more complexity and representation for privilege, predominantly like white um, folks. and. Again, it's it's not allowing or fostering complexity within like marginalized, like majority like POC queer people, um, and it's it's just trying to funnel us down that capitalist, um, imperialist, neoliberalist line again. Um, so yeah, it's 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 very interesting, um, and I think it is something that we often need to like resist and protest against. Um, and yeah, but I do think there needs to be ha way 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 more conversations on representation and what that actually means, like what what representation is, what we, what do we want, and it's like, yeah, so, I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but. Um, I don't, I mean, there's, I think for me, there's sort of two angles for, to this, there's obviously the pinkwashing and capitalism element, but also, you know, as someone who, because until, what, late last year, I was working as an employment lawyer, and now I actually am doing Shandy and like running parties and events and DJing as like my full-time gig. Um, and so it is really weird to actually be framing, whenever I do an event and try to put on, create a space, you know, that has this community focus, this queer party. I also am always thinking about, but also how am I eating? What's, what's, how, how much do I need to be making from this event to be able to eat for the next week and pay my bills? Um, and so it is a really weird position to be in because I've also come from a background where, when I started the party, it was all about making it accessible, as, as accessible price-wise as possible because I feel that's a really, I don't know, I think I had the benefit of when I was at uni, having some really good people ground in me, that idea of that class, like class and, you know, income inclusion, you know, the idea that, an event should, someone shouldn't be excluded from an event just because they don't have money. I mean, I've even, you know, and that's why at my events, there's always like, just message me if you can't afford it. And you'll get in, like, just, it's really just let us know. Um, and, you know, in the past it's been, there's a, anyway, I always, there's always mechanisms to ensure. And I mean, that's something also that was also really great. It's always been, like, you know, I used to work at unions and that was also a big thing, you know having waged and unwaged prices for things and having fees that you pay based on how much you're earning. So that's a big thing for me. But it's also then being like, okay, but having that as well, I also need to be making enough, yeah, making enough money from each event that I'm like, 
able to pay bills and look after my health. And so it's a really, it, it, yeah, look, it's a weird position that I feel that I'm in sometimes because I know as well, like, in, I was chatting to someone who runs parties in Melbourne and they were saying, yeah, I, they, they sort of, I think, are in a similar boat to me, but then they equally are like, oh, but this other person who's running parties, they have been able to, like, in recent times, like in Melbourne after the um, pandemic, is sort of, after all the lockdowns, they were able to jack up their prices to like $60 a ticket for things. And, um, oh, they're selling out still. So they're making a fucking mint. Um, but then it's like a, it's a weird, yeah, then it's a weird question of like, you know, and it plays into, I think, that pinkwashing, there's, I think, you know, pinkwashing's become big because the queer community and LGBTIQ people became viewed as, you know, profitable. Um, but I think it's then that issue of, well, queer community, like, you know, so that's the, that idea of double income, no kids, you know, that sort of thing where queer people just have these high paid jobs, often might not have children, things like that, and so they've got lots of money to burn. Um, but that's not true of the entirety of the queer community, and that's where it becomes really difficult. Um, yeah, I, look, it, it, it's messy, and it's, yeah, finding that balance. I think for me, like, how I reconcile it at the moment is I really just try to find that balance of, is this an amount that I would feel comfortable asking someone to pay, even then having that extra buffer of, but also, if for whatever reason they cannot, they can hit me up and making sure that I still walk away from, you know, an event with enough money to, like, keep paying for bills and making, and also making the event sustainable um, so that I can keep making it, growing it. Hmm? <laughs> well, see, that's where it gets subversive. I love that. Well, see, but that's a... I, I love that. Well, that's a whole, like, messy question then as well of, like... Yeah, as you should. I think, I think it's... I... I have run an event recently that wasn't Shandy branded, which was on purpose because of that kind of energy. I'm like, well, I'm not putting my branding on this. Um, because, you know, they were, uh, they were a venue or a space where they hadn't really not done anything to, like, they were not a queer venue. They had not really done any work to cater to the queer community before. But they wanted me to help with an event that was queer focused. And I was like, okay, so they're trying to build their queer audience. They're trying to, you know, hit that. Um, and they were pretty painful to work for as well because I was like, they asked, they asked me to book it. I booked it and they're like, oh, we want um, less drag performances, more disco club kid dances, whatever those are. Um, and, you know, small variety, you know, women dressed as men, but, you know, just really like basic basic idea of like what performance can be in the queer community and anyway but I persevered because there's an element of like you know let's get that coin there's money to be had we need to feed ourselves I mean you know 
if we really want to have that conversation, there's a really messy conversation that we can have offline about, you know, certain venues in Brisbane who have, yeah, have had issues um, and, you know, how they pay people and how they treat people and, like, do we continue to go to them? But then at the same time, they might be the only space that performers have to perform. So if we stop going, we lose an opportunity for, you know, artists and creatives in our community to live and pay bills. It's messy. I mean, oh God, if it did happen, I would, I feel like I would, but then I would redistribute the funds. And I think that that would be key for me to redistribute the funds in the community, to like um, make work in small studios that are run by artists and pay them for their rent and like collaborate and pay people for their time and, and pay people for conversations and like information and collaboration I think is just key. It's key when finding like how to make a safe, like a safer space and um, how to make a space like more inclusive. It's like um, you need to ask. Yeah, you need to collaborate, and um, I think that's really important. This is how we do the radio show. You, me, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take it from you, <laughs> It was week after week. First it was the glue, then it was... We had the safe question, what's, what's my, my name? name? If we lost ourselves on air. So Ruth, what's my name? Um, <laughs> thank you. We're going to hand over to some questions. We've probably got about 20 minutes or so because uh, Tay has a presentation at 2pm or uh, which is coming up Workshop. after. I know. Um, but do we thank our panellists now or oh, okay. at the end of the question? Well, I don't know. Would you like to be thanked now? Or Let's give them... Yeah, well, we could yeah. give them two we'll lots of thanks. No, I think a thank, thank, thank yes. now is a false ending. Uh, yes. And then we'll what we in back the up again world. and it'll just yeah. be an emotional roller okay. coaster for everybody. And so, this is a safe space. <laughs> is this a safe is space. a safe space. Uh, I mean, there, honestly, there's so much more that we could have talked about. Oh, yes. We need really, the podcast yeah. four hours to go on afterwards. Um, does anyone have a question for one of the panellists? that they would like to ask. If you don't, that's no problem. But if you do, don't be sure. We will run sure about how yappy you might be. No. Yes. Oh, yes. I, you know, I saw a little glimmer in the eye. I thought maybe, uh, would you like a microphone? Would you like a microphone? Oh, it doesn't have to be a question. It can be a contribution. I think I can make it back there. No, <laughs> yes, you will. You come from there. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I don't really need this, I've got a very loud voice, so um, it's not really a question, it's more about, um, I mean it's been really enjoyable sitting here chatting with you all and listening to you today, but um, we kind of run a, um, um, a space and we've been running it for about a year now and it's at Maruka. Yeah. So I say <laughs> I live you, in um, Anaruka, Annalise Harrigindi Maruka. Cool. So <laughs> we, we run what's called, we piggybacked an old space that was run by a social group called, um, at the Maruka, Mar Mar we're the Maruka Social Space, that's all, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, we kind of, I really picked up on what Shelley said. So essentially what the space is, is it's free, free for everybody. So what we do is we feed people from, 
from Wednesday to Sunday and um, you come there at nine o'clock and you finish there at you know two o'clock and there are people who are here who actually help um, in that space quite a lot and we're run by a bunch of volunteers there's about 15 of us in all and we don't have any money and we're not paid and we work really hard anyway it's kind of like you said Shelley essentially that the space is how to include people's awareness of the power structures and I think that's a really important point uh, because we don't charge anything. It's, it's by donation. They get a very good meal. They get good coffee. They get treated like they're humans. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, we try to make the space run as, you know, normal, you know, food-wise, cafe-wise as possible. Um, but in relation to, it also feeds into that corporate thing that you were talking about, who we take money from, what, how do we survive and how do we keep going and all those sorts of things. Um, and how, when people ask me about what this space is, and people ask us all the time, and I always regard, I, the, one of the first things that I say, it's a very queer space. And what that space is, is that it's been very open and on top of the cafe, we also opened what was called a free shop. So the free shop runs where anyone can come in and take whatever clothes they want. And they come in and they dress up, they do whatever they want to do, they take things away from the shop regardless. You, know, you can take whatever you want. It's, it's open to you. And yeah. And and it really brings this space into the general public. You know, it, it's been really successful in that way is that so many different types of people come to that space that they experience all different sorts of things. Um, and I think that the key to it is the fact that there is no profit from it. And um, it's a free space. At the moment, the shop's gone. We run composting workshops. So we kind of, we're a little bit diverse, but mainly that's our focus. So it's not really a question. It's really that we have been practicing this practice. And it was set up by the Australia Council. They actually gave us the funding to start the project with. So it was an Arts Australia Council funding to start it. Um, Oh, anyway, the social space. No, good. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. I don't know. There's lots of fun stuff in. I yeah, keen to you might have some thoughts from you guys as well. Even um, like I don't know. There's an element of like you know. Queer, queer also having some cultural clout and this idea of, you know, there's like a meme. Uh, my, I sexually identify as straight, but I'm culturally queer. And like, it's sort of like, I, I, on one hand, like there's a part of me that understands it and I think it does come from that subversion. But then there's also, you know, a weird element of like, oh, uh, yeah, that, that this idea of do people, are people adapting it with ill intentions as well. That's, I mean, you know, the slipperiness of any label, you know, people use it in whatever way suits them. It can be really liberating, it can be... I don't know, I thought that was a really interesting angle. Also, how many people are really doing it? But I also think that there is like a... I mean, like, even there was someone who... a cis, cis straight 
guy who hit me up, he wanted to play at one of my events, because I really only book queer people, or, I don't know, if I've got a good vibe about you more broadly, but, and, you know, so he's not really high on the list to be booked, because um, he's got lots of other places he can play. Um, and he kind of was trying to relate that, like, oh, well, a lot of the music I play is really queer, and... I, you know, and I kind of like butt stuff, and like, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, right? Look, he did do a set that I did absolutely love, like, playing, I think, like, Venus by Bananarama into Menergy by Patrick Cowley, and I was like, oh. But not enough. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's sort of like a, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit gatekeepy, but then there's a weird element of, well, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be people who, like him, who come from a place of privilege and want to seek out that kind of label, to access another space that's not theirs necessarily, or isn't, where they're not being prioritised, because they're grumpy about not being prioritised. Um, I mean, it, it, yeah, and even... But I also do really love, I don't know, it's weird, because then also equally I really revel in the idea of, you know, queering being, you know, subversion, you know, which is is so fascinating in the arts. Yeah, like, you know, and even being a bit silly with it, like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, not, you know, exiting the building, I'm I'm queering entering, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like, or the queer art of failure, you know, the idea of failure as, queerness um, yeah. is like so fun and beautiful like yeah just like going off that that's what I've been like also been thinking just about and I guess like what it also just like means to me like personally and is like I think that's like what's and why we see so much like queer arts and why queer spaces the way they are um, it's because like it there is that um, sort of like consequence of um, pressured imagination and pressured creativity um, because it's like we have to like th- and like thinking of like harm min- minimization and definitely inspired from like a lot of disability justice movements is that you've got to be creative with the way you, that you make space you've got to like think outside and think in alternative methods of how we can like cultivate this in like whether it be like slide scales um, accessibility um, information and like obviously again it's like it's not going to be perfect but um, there's an uh, there's attempts, and I think um, yeah, and I think what you were just like just s- saying before, I've kind of just forgotten it, but I liked it. But it's yeah, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that's a yeah, that that is the real beauty of it, and that is like I think just yeah, cultivating imagination, um, and like yeah, hoping for like striving for something better is like something that really constitutes these spaces oh yeah the queer is like failure and I think is um yeah that's a really beautiful part of it is like reclaiming like reclaiming our trash selves reclaiming all of this negativity this this shame that has been put upon us um huh what little Naz um Montero um like reclaiming that satanistic um label that's put upon us um and i it's just so it's so radical and it's so cool to just really like reclaim that sin reclaim that shame and it pushes (laughs) yeah um (laughs) 
Um, and yeah, and it's just like, it's just so, it's just really, really, like obviously there's like so much like different, and it, it allows for us like to have further complexity, like, and I think especially for queer people of color um, in like different like politic, but it's just, we don't, we don't get a lot of, we don't get a lot of space to be complex in the West, especially within our gender, especially within our sexuality. Um, because even in like, in sexual spaces, um, queer people of color get fetishized. Um, and again, it's just, you keep putting, being put into the boxes. So yeah, I don't know, there, and like resisting that um, and creating outside of that, I think it just, it just makes some, and produces some really, really cool things. and. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's growing and it's changing, but it's just cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I think I might try and answer. Oh, sorry, I can't hear. Um, I think I might try and answer your kind of question. How do you make people aware of those power dynamics that were challenging? Um, I think what you're doing is like really important because you're challenging the way that um, people see how we can organize ourselves and have our needs met. And like right now, that's through um, selling our labor, being exploited, and then buying things to kind of exist but not really. Um, and by having your needs met in a way that's free and um, relies on the skills that we already have, I think is a really powerful way of drawing people in who might not necessarily um, have that politic or be um, radicalized by having their needs met, and then they have the time um, to think about these broader structures and why things, why. Um, are things the way they are without being like, yay, and then like that might not necessarily um, resonate with some people who don't identify as queer, but I think by clearing spaces like that in that way, I think is really important to um, make people aware of stresses in their lives. I was just going to say that's very cool. <laughs> Um, it's May Day, so level of the union worker class discussion. Um, everyone go build worker solidarity in your workplace. Well, we better. Is there anything else? Anybody wanted to add any other questions? So that, yeah, so. Hello, I just would like to say um, thank you for incredible conversation, my goodness. That's just so rich. Um, I would like to acknowledge that the word queer, as you did at the beginning, has a, a very loaded trigger for people older than myself, mostly where it was used as um, such a violent term. So it's very interesting to have such active, rigorous, warm-spirited, intelligent conversation about how to reclaim it and reshape it. What I'm noticing as my takeaway, I just want to be thankful for, is the emphasis on verbs, queer as a verb, how to queer something, and I acknowledge Jody Taylor's writing on that as well. Um, but I think what my question would be, um, and it's for myself and, and all of us, is what if we see community as a verb as well? Sometimes we use this phrase, membership of a blah community, insert acronym here, um, membership and community feel sometimes a little closed, whereas the notion of community as, as a verb, as a moving thing, a shifting thing, and just hearing all of the verbs you just used about, you know, about retaining, about creating space, making space, not space as a, a noun, but space as a 
something to create, so the verbs associated with all of this. So my takeaway is just to do with the, the fluidity and the action of flowing with change, so that that emphasis on kind practice and process um, is maintained. I realise that's not a question, it's a gratitude for that takeaway that I'm going to take with me. Thank you. is what does queer liberation look like to you and feel free to take that question in any direction you want you know like is queer liberation ammo on the shelf in the fridge is it a poem is it a texture is it a color like queer up my question fuck it up That is a huge question. Well, uh, I was just going to say it's so huge and I think that it is so subjective and it would be completely different from one person to the next. But I feel like it would share a feeling of warmth and it would share the colour yellow to me. Um, and this like, um, I'm back onto it, I'm like locked on, it's there. Um, I feel like yeah, more of a feeling, less of like a plan. We don't know what it's looked like. We're all diving into the, the endless void together, um, but doing that with as much warmth and care as possible. I mean, obviously, it's a hugely loaded question. Like, I know some people here would just be like, the years of throuples um, would see it. <laughs> um, but um, no, I, I, what, when you asked that question, Argo, um, it, what came to mind was that I think it was like this TikTok that was like talking about, um, I think it was like maybe like transformer justice or um, abolition, something or the other, but it was like talking about like accountability and what like a liberated society from carceral things was um and it was just like it wasn't necessarily um it wasn't like a, a a future free of conflict it was a future where we could have open and honest and transparent conversations and i, I don't know that sort of like this like concept of liberation i find is very interesting because it's like we want to like I, I in my head it like steers away from like the utopic um serenity euphoria like obviously that would be amazing but I think it is like this comfort with hardship and difficulty and um, I, I don't know that's that's what um, really comes to mind with like what a queer liberation is is that like that that liberation to really just um, be with our hardship and difficulty and with our relationship to one another um, and obviously that comes into so much play of like relationship to land as well um, and yeah, obviously like liberation has a whole 
a little context that we could talk about, but I don't know, that's what I've seen. So it's like, it's not ridding the discomfort from life, like there's always going to be something that is going to marginalise or oppress or just some sort of harm that's going to come up. But it, I don't know, it's just, I, that's what my mind is going, is just like this really like um, progression to be, to sit with things a bit more at ease and there isn't that like um, pressure to like commercialize or capitalize off like conversations and be in relationships. So I don't know, maybe that's just my Pisces rising, but anyway. Um, I, I guess queer liberation, uh, yeah, it's big question. Um, I don't I like, it's, I don't know, whenever I think about things that are, you know, oh, that's liberation or like in a venue or a club or any sort of space, I'm like, mm, that's homophobic. But I'm sort of in a joking way, like, you know, if a security guard tells me off for doing ammo in a club, I'm like, that's homophobic. But it is kind of, just a little bit maybe. And like, why is it so, you know, regulated? And it's, I, I, guess, I guess addressing those weird little moments, you know, it's things like uh, not being taught um, sex ed in a way that actually recognises queer relationships in school. It's not having like a world and relationships where, you know, there can be those really open, comfortable conversations. It's existing in a world where there isn't like a, you know, a level of stress or that extra level of like concern about well-being, safety, happiness that arises from being queer. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, there's definitely times, you know, where I'll just even, you know, in my everyday life where something is a slight inconvenience and I'm like, mm, that's homophobic. So, you know, maybe it's that. Maybe it's just making my life better. <laughs> and everyone else's. Every other queer, queer person. But just making every... And I mean, that, that's why it's also, you know, to sort of run off of what Mo said, like, it's not even just addressing stuff that makes queer people's lives... Well, or people who are exclu exclusively queer issues, it's making queer lives better. So it's wrapped up in so many other different things beyond stuff you know, sexuality and gender, it's, you know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The ripple on effect would be phenomenal. Uh, well, I, I'm going to take the opportunity to liberate all of you at this point, <laughs> in a queer way. Um, we need to wrap up, uh, we've got some time constraints going. Uh, Tay has a, a workshop. No, no. <laughs> um, Tay has a wonderful workshop starting soon. Uh, Kate Mackey celebrant has to go and marry somebody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Thomas. Tay, uh, Shelley and Mo, thank you so much for um, I, I thought I was going to have a bit of a tear um, uh, through this and, and some of the things that are so um, inspiring to, to see um, who the future of culture's hands um, are taking it forward and it's really lovely and, and so great, the art, the, 
the ideas, the the viewpoints, all so inspiring and amazing, and um, certainly the discussion has been as well. So thank you all for your contribution, and thank you to the IMA for hosting this and inviting Kate and I. We feel really proud and privileged to be a part of it, um, and thank you everybody for coming along and um, having sharing our open thoughts and minds together um, in this really nice. Um, exploratory, liberating event. Thank and, you. And uh, safe travels. Thanks. Uh, uh, and so thank you to Talara for facilitating all of this.